Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, my name is Lewis Warren and I run Tacona, the uh, automotive clothing brand. The Driven Chat podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Hello and welcome to this week's Driven Chat Podcast. We are coming to you as we regularly do from Caffeine and Machine. We're not in our studio truck because it's out of action at the moment. We, we like so many other companies in the world and supermarkets, have run short of drivers. Is that why? Yeah. Oh, that's our why driver, Ken's not here. Our driver, Ken, you know what he's doing today? No. He's working with the NHS Aww. in one of their trucks. So, Ken, we miss you, but you're doing valiant work. I also like that Ken drives a tractor when he's not driving our truck. It's true. Ken Ken is kind of like the unsung hero to Driven Chat. We never really talk about Ken, but he is he is the hero. We love him. We know you listen to these, Ken, and we miss you. It's been many weeks, so hope to see you again very, very soon. Anyway, uh, one day we'll do a podcast with Ken, but up until then, um, you're stuck with myself, John Marker. Hello there. You also can hear from Amy Shaw. Hi. We don't have Andy J this week. He's out and about doing other things. However, as always, we've pulled in a guest. And as you heard from the very beginning, that guest is called Lewis Warren. Hello, Lewis. Hello. How are we doing? I'm good, thank you. I've had a lovely pizza with the both of you. Yes, we have. We've done things. Usually, the, the standard setup for recording podcasts would be you meet, hello, shake hands, don't really know each other, but let's sit down, do a recording, and then you'll go and have dinner or a pizza or something, and then you go, oh, you're actually quite an interesting person. You learn more about them. We've done it the other way around, which I think we should make more of a habit of doing. Well, I don't know, because the problem is, when you do them the other way around, like, you know, when we met you this this, this afternoon, you've got to try really hard not to talk about anything That's that you true. want to talk about in the podcast. So sometimes when you meet people, you're like, almost have to be slightly rude because you're like I don't want to talk to you <laughs> yeah. until we're recording because then it's all genuine and actually all the questions I ask you are, are, are genuine and yeah I've given you all my good stories already that's the problem <laughs> Damn. That's and those were the good ones they were the good oh, ones no. No, I've peaked <laughs> fortunately they weren't regarding the thing that I'm doing so they ah. were just irrelevant <laughs> random riffraff talk stories oh. well, that, that's what we like it's that what works. we like to hear and chat to you about random riffraff talk that's probably what most people get from me most of the time so <laughs> we'll just uh, carry on trend really so strap yourselves in listeners <laughs> some, <laughs> some random chit chat so let's talk about Tacona because you, you introduced it as a clothing brand yeah How However, there's a bit more to it than that, isn't there? Because it's a bit more of a focus on mental health, which is a huge talking topic. It has been for certainly the past couple of years with pandemics and lockdowns and other bits and pieces. It's kind of done a really brilliant thing, which has given people the opportunity to go, oh, actually, we should probably talk about this a bit more. Yeah, definitely. And the reason I start with clothing brand is not many people pick up on that's the direction that it starts with. Because mm-hmm. um, the idea behind it is to make the clothing the talking point. Yeah. If you are 
at a car event or out and about and you see someone wearing the brand, you know what the brand stands for mm. and that therefore instigates conversation. So as recently as yesterday, someone went, oh, I didn't know you did clothing. I was like, it's ah. literally the only product that I make is clothing and stickers. Mm-hmm. So there's not much else that I'm doing other than creating like podcasts and a couple of YouTube videos and small coffees and cars mornings that have any substance. So mm-hmm. I, I start with, it's clothing, mm-hmm. but the clothing is a, a representative thing for what we're aiming to do which is to get people talking more to create conversation to make the mindset around talking in particular around mental health more commonplace um because obviously it's not and yeah. it needs to change um so the the whole concept and the whole idea of what what i'm hoping to achieve with the as it grows and as it becomes more well known and hopefully through doing things like this mm-hmm. that's the direction it's going to take is to make that idea of it's okay to talk just grow a little bit more and to make it a little bit less kind of, to use the word stigmatized, um, because it doesn't have to be, I want to kill myself or something super serious. It just needs to be something small early yeah. rather than something big later down the line. Sure. That was, sorry to put in already early. Um, that's, that's one of the, the questions I wanted to ask you, actually. The amount of people that might be listening to this thinking, well, you know, I feel pretty crap, but I don't feel bad enough mm. to, to feel like I have to go and talk to somebody or, you know, to feel like I'm... Some people feel like they're complaining or they're moaning. With it. You know, if you go and meet your, your mates for a, a coffee and cars meet and then you just think, oh, you know, I feel a bit rubbish, but I don't really want to talk about it because they might think I'm just moaning. And it is because I think people don't feel like they are allowed to without being considered a downer or whatever. And it's, I suppose, trying to get over that attitude of, no, it doesn't matter how bad you think you are or you don't think you are you should still be able to have that safe space to be able to talk to your mates around cars coffee whatever about whatever you might be feeling at the time do you find that quite often with, with yeah people? definitely I, and even on a personal level i've always struggled to go oh, i'm having a rough day because mm-hmm. you don't want to feel like you're a burden or you're like a debbie downer or you're always the person that's bringing a conversation into a negative space when in reality that's more of an internal image it's not the case that you are a negative person it's the, at this present moment you're feeling negative and you should feel like you can tell someone about that because they won't see you as a burden they'll just go right let me listen to what's going on the simple act of being able to get it off your chest is normally enough to take the edge off and make a problem more manageable and then if things are actually a little bit deeper than they need like they originally seem it opens that doorway rather than allowing things to grow and grow and grow. And even for myself, I could be having a pretty rough day, feel like absolute crap, feel like it's the end of the world. I'm failing in life. Everything feels awful. I talk to, let's for example, say my other half because we have quite a good communicative relationship. And then within a couple of hours, I'm like, oh, you know what? That's actually going all right. And this Mm -hmm. is doing okay. I'm just feeling a bit crap about this thing. And it's enough to take the edge off. And then I'm back to trying to not take myself too seriously and being more being a little bit more interpersonable and a little bit happier and it's just that in that moment where you're feeling crap that's all you feel like I really struggle to appropriately describe like depression and down feelings accurately because the word I use is selfish Mm. and I don't mean it in that you're being selfish by feeling that it's that those feelings are inherently overwhelming and take control of yourself. Yeah. And it's a really hard kind of phrasing to accurately say without it sounding like me going, oh, if you feel down, you're being selfish. Yeah. Because it's not that. It's those emotions override everything and really like absorb you rather than it's a selfish thing to feel. Mm-hmm. And as you say, like just going for a coffee and chatting with your mates, it's very easy to feel, oh, I can't bring it up because then... I'm lowering the mood or I'm not being happy. And I've... But if you've got good friends, then they care about you. They want to hear when you're having a bad time. And I was listening to um, the Jimmy DeVille episode, yeah. literally as I pulled into the car park, and he was saying how, like, as soon as you say to someone, oh, I feel crap, mm. they don't go, oh, get at it. They're like, oh, mm-hmm. what's yeah, going on? Yeah, like, yeah. Let's, let's make sure everything's okay. And that needs to just be a little bit more normal. Because having that kind of, oh, I feel a bit crap, more often conversation so there's going to be times where you have a a string of bad luck say and you're going to feel like i keep just feeling bad and Mm -hmm. i don't want to keep telling people that i feel bad because then they'll go yeah we get it you feel bad it's important that those small often things happen because Mm -hmm. then they stop them from being big things yeah that's the idea more than anything is to go look it's okay to go, I'm feeling a bit crap. It's okay to say that several times. Mm. It's okay to have those conversations because 
they stop them from compounding on top of each other. Mm. And then six months down the line, you're in real trouble. Yeah. I suppose that's the thing. The minute that, as we're saying about, you know, you might think, you know, I don't feel great. I'm not, if people, yeah, if people are thinking, you know, I'm not as bad as I feel like I don't want to live anymore, but you can, it's still fine to want to, you know, or feel the need to talk to, to people, if you're, even if you're not that you know uh, in in that situation but it is that point where you think to yourself oh hang on a minute if I don't talk about this little thing now and it will compound and compound and as you said people don't realize until it's too late and it is six months down the line you just suddenly think oh crap I feel really really rubbish now and you just think to yourself that could have been or that might have been helped a little bit if I just talked a couple of times over that that period of time or just opened up a little bit about that um before now I mean I think we're all guilty of it, especially when it comes to to working a lot. And you know, if you or if you're passionate about something, especially if it is your work, and you think to yourself, right, I'm going to throw myself into this thing that I'm doing, and you almost become blinded by what your mental health uh, is suffering from it. So, like I, myself, um, we've just started this workshop, and then I got on my photography as well. And I, it wasn't until about three months in, I thought, you know, I'm quite stressed at the minute, but I went away for the first time for a job. And I came back and I was like, oh my word, I feel horrendous. I had no idea how negatively I, I let myself get to until you've taken you away from that situation, you know, taking yourself away from that situation. And I talked to my partner about it. I said, I feel really, really bad. And we had to have quite a serious discussion. And it's not until you do take yourself away from it that you think, oh, hang on a second, I've let that get too bad. So how do you stop yourself from getting to that point? Is it just kind of checking out yourself every now and then just thinking, oh, hang on how do I feel about this? Do you, I mean, do you journal? Do you talk to your mates regularly? How do you kind of cope? Me personally, so believe it or not, I'm not always like with friends. I'm I'm a relatively sociable person, but I'm also one of those that's quite happy in my own little space. Mm-hmm. I can spend quite a lot of time, headphones on, doing my own little thing. And I acknowledge that that isn't always great. Mm-hmm. But for me, having a bit of a routine that gives me some capacity to do that and have that time to reflect and it's not meditation and it's not journaling it's nothing quite as proper as a lot of people do and I probably should be better at that that kind of thing given the line of work that I'm trying to get into um but something as simple as just sitting down for an hour in the morning with no phone no music reading a car magazine just a little bit of clear head it helps me to kind of prioritize the thoughts figure out how i'm feeling it it's enough of a break from like the world so to speak to be able to keep track of how everything's going Mm -hmm. and i find the weeks where i don't do that by the end of the week i'm feeling a lot worse than the weeks where i've had a little bit of space in the morning just to go right i've got an hour to myself with a cup of coffee and a good magazine i'm going to try and read it but if the thoughts come into my head about other things that are going on i'm going to accept them and like explore them so that I understand what's going on because as you said you were super busy so you missed out on all these little things that would have normally kind of passed through your life and you'd have dealt with them and moved on Mm -hmm. but because you have so much going on and there's so many things and so many plates to spin they're the little bits that catch up on you and then they add up on each other and then you get six months down the line you're like Mm -hmm. oh crap I've missed this I forgot that I feel like this this actually impacted me more than I thought it was going to do I'm in a bit of a trouble I need to sit and like write lists or things like that like for me if I've got a lot of work to do I write lists and then I can prioritize those lists and it helps me to create some order to the chaos but outside of that I don't really have a set thing but I know that these kind of things are great like journaling is fantastic really helps to get your thoughts out your head get it onto a piece of paper and again like with lists it helps to put them into some physical space that you can go right I, I understand that this thing is more of an important thing to me than this other thing. Whereas if it's all in your head, mm. if you've ever looked inside your own head, it's not exactly folders and files and organized filing cabinets. It's a complete mess. Yeah. And at three o'clock in the morning, something completely random can just drop into you. And you're like, oh, I hadn't even thought about that. <laughs> Whereas with like journaling and writing lists and it helps to just kind of put it into a, some form of structure. Yeah. Um, and one of the, the things, say, for example, with cognitive behavioral therapy, which is one of the things that they help people with depression um, to try and create some functioning abilities with, one of the, the key things to that is routine and order and creating structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea is that it just gives your brain something to kind of focus in on mm. and some regularity that it, it can expect what's coming. And it stops it kind of being panicky. Um, So for me personally, hour in the morning, cup of coffee and a magazine, 
bit of free time, no phone, no music, no TV, mm-hmm. no distractions, and then writing lists. Mm-hmm. And that kind of keeps me within some sort of straight and narrow to some degree, um, waiting for the next big thing to sideswipe me and derail it all, <laughs> all over again. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. It's something I've noticed about you, Jamaka. Um, well, the the point where I think you, and this is a complete guess, maybe mm. you're going to prove me wrong. The point where I think you seem your most focused and happiest is when I've seen you behind a wheel on a track. Like I don't, that seems yeah. to me like your meditation. Oh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, either on a track, in a car, or uh, on a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. I think it, anything. I. You know, dangerous saying it because I'm not diagnosed, but I think I'm, I must have an element of ADHD in some capacity because my attention span is shocking. At, you know, a lot of the times it's awful and I, I'm away with the fairies and, and I think yeah, potentially there is a, a bit of um, ADHD or ADD that, that could be there. Um, or um, or maybe, yeah, I am just away with the fairies. I, I don't know what it is, but you're right. There, sometimes it does take a really extreme environment for me to be genuinely at peace and that might be throwing a car sideways around a track um or or yeah just enjoying a nice kind of sunday afternoon ride on a bike but that that to me is my that's my nirvana that's my kind of all the distractions disappear at that point and therefore i tune into it unfortunately fairly expensive way to uh to, <laughs> to self-therapy i'd but, like to give uh, that therapy a go yeah it certainly works that's for sure now lewis i'd like to peel back a little bit just to see um where this journey started for you because i know uh, we spoke a little bit before we started recording. You mentioned things that like used to work in um, mental hospitals. hospitals. Is that the right yeah, word? To uh, use? Psychiatric hospitals psychiatric is probably hospitals. more appropriate these yeah. days. Um, it's only what I get told off by my missus for because she's a psychologist. So if I go, oh, I used to work in a mental hospital, she's like, you can't say that. Yes, that's really wrong. Stop <laughs> yeah. saying it. There was a time and a place, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, psychiatric. It's, it's one off, like, I used to work in an asylum. Like, yeah. you definitely can't <laughs> yeah. say that. <laughs> so you started working. Um, do you have any qualifications in that area or was that just something you landed in? So my kind of career journey has been really weird. I When I left college, I went and did um, my entry-level accountancy qualifications okay. and worked as an accountant for two years. Right. And I find out I'm very, very chatty, which doesn't suit um, accountancy because <laughs> that, that tends to be sit down and do spreadsheets and don't yeah. talk to anyone. But no, you definitely can't have headphones even though you're not allowed to talk to anyone. Um if I was out on an audit, I'd be chatting to people. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, what does this do? What's that do? And, mm-hmm. oh, this business is cool. And then I'd always be getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, just sit down and do your spreadsheet. Um, so I, at that period of my life, um, my kind of teenage to early adult years were very turbulent family-wise. And it was really chaotic. And if you've seen the show Shameless, that's a yeah. scene the show Shameless. Yep, I got it. It's, <laughs> it's not far off. There okay. Police and ambulances, right. and wow. it was like supercar car crashes because someone was driving drunk, and mm. it was you could have filmed it and been like, "Oh, this is a great TV show. I wonder what yeah. character is going to come into it next." Yeah. It was mad, and as an eighteen-year-old, it's not a great place to be in the middle of with limited control. Mm-hmm. So, I then working in an accountancy job, which required a lot of focus and quiet, and it's not great for the mental space when the night before you've been like rolling around on the ground trying to fight your dad it's not yeah, a, yeah. a great yeah. thing to go from that to here's a lot of peace and quiet for the rest of the day yeah, yeah. so have fun with your thoughts yeah <laughs> exactly that like I'd, yeah. I'd get distracted and then i'd get in trouble for being distracted and i'd mm-hmm. go oh it's because this happened last night and they're like well you're at work now oh. mm-hmm. so it's not a great yeah. environment with that kind of employee's mindset sure um so i i ended up off on i just left i ended up on a bit i took a week off for stress and within that week i say i left they fired me. So right. I went off on stress okay. and then they handed me my notice. And I think I'd been there like 18 months. So you've got no statutory yeah, rights. Oh. Yeah. So I was in a bit of a pickle. Um, and my, say, stepmom, my dad's PA at the time, which is another sign of right. the, the madness. <laughs> yep. Now stepmom, I think, <laughs> might still be married. Um, she was doing shifts in, a, in one of these hospitals. Yeah. And the hospital nearest to us was like a really low secure really kind of quiet environment and it was just you do it's called bank so you are in like a pool of staff mm. and if they need you or if you select the shifts that you are available for they can ask you to come in and do the work yeah. and given the nature of 
the health industry, they always need staff. Mm. It's, it's underpaid and overworked. So mm. they're always needing people. So you basically had free reign of whatever shifts you wanted. So I was like, right, I'll just do that and it'll pay the bills. I was living in one of my dad's houses. So I was paying a, like a decreased rent amount and I was just mm. about self-sustainable. Um, so I started doing that and then I really fell in love with it. So I, I went from this really quiet environment and I nearly didn't turn up on the first day. So I was so scared mm. of what to expect. In my head, I had the asylum image yeah, and yeah, you yeah. turn up and it's chaos. Yeah, yeah. And I spent my first two days watching TV for eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> Literally just sat in a lounge watching TV with mm. patients. I, I was pacing the corridors and, yeah. and I got told to calm down because they were like, you're disrupting the ward. Like it's quite yeah. quiet and peaceful mm. and you're pacing and checking. I was like, I don't know how to sit still. Mm. I don't know how to do this. I'm, and they're like, well, just sit and watch TV. And that's it. So mm-hmm. I sat and watched TV for two days and got paid for it. So I was quite happy. <laughs> but then I started to, it was a group of hospitals. So I started to explore the other hospitals mm. and the different wards and the different environments. I ended up at Medium Secure, which is one down from Rampton. So if you've seen the Tom Hardy film with Bronson, he was at Rampton for a bit, which is one of the two high secure hospitals in the country. Right. And we had patients from there come to us. Mm-hmm. So they weren't exactly calm. It's yeah, probably yeah. the easiest way to, mm. to describe it. And I really found my element because I was helping. We were dealing with difficult situations. I was learning how to communicate in a crisis. And when you say about your driving a car on track helps you clear your head, mm. it's that, that kind of similar thing where you're in a very critical situation where small mistakes can make big differences. Yeah. So your brain kind of has to hyper-focus on what's going on. So that meant that anything that was happening outside of work, it didn't matter because I, if I don't do this right, that person could die. Mm. And that's much worse than if I think about the difficulties that are going on. I've got to be in the moment. Got you. And as a young man, the adrenaline rushes are phenomenal. Yeah. Like you're a teenager, early 20s, and you're dealing with life and death and fights and this and that. So the adrenaline peaks and troughs, which on reflection is really not good. Mm. But in the moment, it was like, I'm... I'm making a difference and I'm tough and I'm this and I'm that. And it's everything that a young man that has no concept of normality or balanced life really leans into because mm-hmm. it's it's ticking all the boxes of what a young man would think is really cool and manly and macho and this and that. And it's actually really bad for you. Yeah. It's taken me a long time to learn you don't have to be on a high state of alert all the time. You don't have to be expecting trouble or mm-hmm. looking for the confrontations and things like that. Um, but it, it meant that I made a difference and that's what really kept driving forward is that you can make an actual difference to someone's life and help them improve. And by the end of my time working there, I'd gone from spending a lot of time in the medium secure dealing with the, the high intensity back down to the rehab unit where you had patients coming through a bit more quickly, but you were making them, you're making bigger differences. You were helping someone go from a real crisis point to a relative functional mm. within say six months. Mm. And that's where it started to get really more rewarding and learning the skills of how to cope with different personality types, different kind of illnesses and disorders and different kind of approaches to different situations and how what you say and what you do and how you treat people can hugely impact on their life and their well-being. And it was so rewarding to be making that difference that, again, that kind of became a little bit addictive. Like yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm turning up and I'm making a difference and I'm effectively giving back in a different way and it was that that really started the not necessarily the foundations of Tacona because this was a year or two before that even became a thing mm-hmm. but it kind of what cemented that mental health and well-being for me as a positive driving force and something that really needed to be more commonplace yeah and and was that developing that understanding of how people could be reassured or or, or even analyzing the different ways to approach different people's version of a struggle was that how much of that was self-taught in comparison to training you know was there did you, were those resources did you have somebody kind of mentoring you looking after you or was there a lot of it you, you had to figure out by, by so yourself? a lot of it is because you're in a team mm-hmm. so you would have say when I first started I obviously knew very little and yeah. I was more of a kind of a caretaker you just kind of you're there and you've had three weeks of training on how to kind of 
deal with a crisis situation, deal mm. with restraining someone appropriately should it be necessary. Yeah. Um, which doesn't help for the first day because you think that's all that you're going to be doing. Yeah, of course. And then yeah. you spend 12 hours sitting on the sofa. Um, <laughs> but you, you have like an entry-level amount of training on how to deal with it when it gets to the worst possible case and the basic understanding of what different kind of things that you'll be dealing with. So say someone has a personality disorder versus someone that's got, say, drug-induced psychosis or mm. someone that's got severe depression they all have different ways of working with them but the main way that you learn the skills is on the job but the yeah. the the structure of the role is that you have to be in a team you can't do any of it on your own because a the risk is high and b you're only one person sure. and there's 15 16 patients to deal with or work with and so anything that happens normally happens as a team so you're always with someone who's either a, a mental health nurse or possibly a psychiatrist or a psychologist and you're learning from their insights because they are leading mm. the direction of what's happening. And then after the kind of the first year or so, you've learned a lot of those skill sets and you I've built a lot of confidence in myself and my ability in those situations to then help be kind of not necessarily leadership, but know which directions tend to work and which ones tend to make things worse and help direct people that are still learning which ways to go about things and that sense of confidence and that knowledge has all been learned from people that were fantastic and brilliant in dealing with either a crisis situation or someone in a very difficult emotional state and mm. things like that and it's it's purely from immersion it's nothing okay. professional i've not been to uni or anything proper to learn it all and i, I don't think you could do it through that method you could learn no, about I agree. the yeah. the 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 problems that people face, but you really can't learn that skill set through teaching. Uh, I agree. I think there's there's a lot, and as somebody that's been exposed to a lot of mental health struggles through friends and family and immediate family, and it is one of those things where I've taken a more than once I've taken an active interest in even going down the route of psychotherapy and studying it because to me it's fascinating the idea that you can work out the the processes that come with the way that somebody thinks and then when th perhaps certain thoughts and feelings get muddled up and can make things quite complicated for a person the idea that you can take something apart and rebuild it is quite fascinating but the academic side of it is obviously a huge factor when it comes to understanding a bit like studying medicine understanding the chemistry behind what makes things do what they're supposed to do but when it comes to that actual human interaction and I think of instances that I faced as a child, seeing members of family struggling with uh, certain issues uh, or friends that I've grown up with struggling with certain issues. So much of it is down to you as an individual, what you are analysing, what you can pick out, what you can identify, the early warning signs, the things you know how to say, what to say. That's the stuff you can't really learn in a classroom. And I think it's quite refreshing to hear you say that. And it's definitely credit to you because it, you can tell, I think when if you've been around a lot of um, mental illness or people that are struggling with certain things, you identify it in other people because you can kind of see it like, I guess a bit like any other industry, if you've worked on the frontline military or other aspects, you can identify when other people have been through similar levels of stress and difficulty or struggles. And you can kind of go, oh yeah, I see how your mind works. So yeah, definitely. hundred yeah. percent. And it's, it's a learned experience that, we've found quite often that the doctors were the worst in those scenarios because mm. they only had this i've been to uni and i've studied this and i know yeah this person has a personality disorder so this is what they will be thinking and this is what they're doing mm. and then they get punched in the face because they're not they're not in the moment they don't understand yeah. the scenario yeah. that's around them they just know the the clinical observation of what they're seeing yeah and then you go well yeah but if you had for this example stepped mm. backwards because you would have seen that person clench their fist and feel like yeah, you can see the yeah. tension building, but they were too busy going, oh, they're thinking about this because mm. they feel like that. Because that's all their their professional training has, rather than being, as you say, like able to see the signs of stress or mm. see the, the signs of agitation in that moment because they haven't lived in those moments before. Yeah. And I imagine the doctor that gets punched in the face only has that happen once because they then go, yeah, that's it. I should probably learn this a bit more. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. any subject, isn't it? It's like it's a common subject that people talk about with schools. You know, how how are we supposed to teach children? It's a bit ironic me saying this as somebody who's not a parent at all. But 
the school system just doesn't work for some people because, of course, everyone is labelled as, right, you are a little human being, therefore you're going to learn this, this, this and this, and we're going to teach you this way, this way, this way and this way. Now, for, you know, a good 70% of the classroom, it might be fine and it might work perfectly and there might be a 60 to 70% efficiency rate of that information, the way that it's delivered, gets absorbed into the brain and therefore they've learnt it. But then there's always 20 to 30% of the classroom that just don't get it because... Not because there's anything wrong with them as a person, but it's just because they don't think that way. They don't. They aren't wired that way. So and they I need think... to get punched in the face more. Then is that what you're saying? But absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> Amy Shaw, John Mark are saying bullying works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the German Jack podcast sponsored by bullying. No, no, not at all. But it's just that, and I, I think so often you hear that from parents, uh, or you hear that from teachers even who who talk about these things, and you think, well. Why is it just kids that we put that to? Because, of course, as grown adults, we all have different systems and different ways of learning and absorbing and studying and, and developing. And therefore, you know, we have to we have to approach it in different ways or, or understand that different people think in different ways. Well, even, even to add on to that, the way that people perceive themselves based on how they learn, mm. because the system and the structure is a certain way, the people that learn differently then feel inferior. I, yes, that's right. Yeah. Within, a, I've got two younger brothers, and I'm relatively academic. I can learn information relatively quickly, mm. and I can effectively regurgitate it, which makes me quite good at doing exams. Mm. And if it's not that, I can waffle enough to get myself around most situations. <laughs> and my youngest brother is relatively similar to me in that respect. He's quite a, he's a, he's learning to be a financial advisor. He's quite a, analytical and he's academically minded. Mm. Whereas my middle brother is insanely creative phenomenally creative mm. and very much more emotionally connected than either of us two but because as the the other two of us are academically minded he's always felt inferior and he's always expressed that he's felt his inferiority yeah. because the environment didn't cater to that mm. appropriately mm. so even though he is much more creative and better at say art than i am because the whole art exam was you explaining why you did something, mm-hmm. I scored more highly than he did because I could analyse why I drew that terribly looking thing. But because I could tell you why, it looked like I was better. Got you. So from a yeah. from a schooling perspective, my artwork, although creatively crap in comparison to my brother's, <laughs> scored higher because of the metrics that were used. Yeah. And it's like that whole Einstein thing of teaching the... Uh, seeing who's best by asking a fish to climb a tree or whatever the yeah, specifics yeah, yeah, of it are. It. If you're using the wrong measures, you'll get the wrong results. Yeah. But the, the knock-on effect is actually more of a concern than the actual results of the tests mm. because then you have all these people coming into society that are arguably better, if not at least equal to everybody else, but they're feeling like they've got this inferiority because they were not necessarily punished but not rewarded in the same way because they were treated for a certain set of metrics that weren't relevant to them. Yeah. Um, now, my brother could very easily create massive pieces of artwork and be very, very talented in that regard. But because his um, self-confidence isn't as high, he very much less engages with it. Yeah. Whereas me and my overinflated ego and my sense of, oh, I can do anything because mm. I passed all the tests at school, I'll create art that is mediocre and I'll put it on my website and someone might buy it. Mm. But it's my inflated kind of sense of self-worth that means that I will do that. Whereas he, who is arguably better at it, won't. Yeah. And that's kind of the, the knock-on effect of what you're saying. And the, mm. one of the, the compiling issues into the, the mental health topic is a lot of people's self-confidence isn't built right. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd like to get onto that. I think um, we, previous episodes, Amy and I, have often talked about this wonderful term imposter syndrome, yeah. which is mm. rife, I think, in this industry. Yeah. And it's, I think, really rife in the modern world, especially with things like the glorious world of Instagram and social media and influencers and things. And, and in fact, our sister podcast, so the Andy J podcast, um, one of the recent episodes was with Elliot Gleave, otherwise known as Example, the musician. And he he said a, a frankly, magical bit of, uh, of chat in his conversation with Andy. I urge you after this to go and find that one. Uh, just look for the Andy J podcast and look for the example episode. And he talks about that in this world of Instagram where we're seeing we're seeing influencers wearing you know, thousands and pounds worth of clothes every single day. And we all become so absorbed in, well, if they can do it, then why can't I? And that's just social settings. That's just 
kids looking at a social media platform going, well, it must be easy to earn uh, enough money to buy a thousand pounds worth of tracksuit every day and buy a Ferrari and live in a house in Wimbledon Common and, 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 and. But we... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As grown-ups I find we do it a lot in the working world as well and we often see other people around us in a very similar industry and go oh well you're kind of nailing this and I feel like I'm only just good enough or how and why am I here mm. <laughs> which is something I do a lot mm. I often sit back and go hang on a minute what what why am I standing in front of this camera with you know driving this car and it, it, it's something that that comes up often um I know Amy you've mentioned this a couple of times before haven't you in your because again in your industry as a photographer that's got to be one of the most competitive, yeah, yeah, competitive definitely. yet creative worlds, isn't it? It's. I think one of the, um, especially when you are creative, and I don't know if you find this as as well as about the you know creating your, your clothing brand. The minute you start, if you start looking at other clothing brands that are in the automotive world, or especially in the motorbike world, there's a lot seem, seem to be a lot more kind of clothing brands. And there's an artwork behind you that's fitting right into. Well, there is, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but the minute, yeah, the minute that you look at these things and you think, okay, well, if I compare myself to that person I will either never be good enough or that's not me and it's suddenly the quote I love and I've used many times comparison is the thief of joy and you suddenly think mm. oh well, hang a second is there any point in me doing this and then suddenly you're missing the entire point of why you wanted to start this thing in the first place so when I first started being a photographer the good good thing probably is that I was completely naive I'd never really looked at any other car photographer because I wasn't interested at the time. <laughs> you know, it was a, a sideline thing. It kind of became more of a thing. And I think that was a, a very good thing for me because I didn't have anything to compare myself to because I didn't look. I didn't even want to look. I wasn't, wasn't mm. interested. So I kind of went and did my own thing because that's what I liked to do. But the minute that you think to yourself, oh, maybe I want to get into either car journalism, photography, clothing, um, car design, whatever, and you start thinking, hang on, I'm not as good as that person. Or, you know, it's... Um, Another thing is when you, you look at somebody and you think, I shouldn't judge my, my, my beginning to their middle because that's something that we, I think we all are guilty of doing as well. So when it came to your own kind of starting of, your, of the clothing company with, you know, car-related vibe, what's, what came first, the clothing company idea or the love of cars and the I just want to be in this world? I've loved cars since I was a child. And like literally... Since I was probably about four, I was at any time around the motorway. Oh, there's a Peugeot and there's a Citroen, and <laughs> yeah. I, it was just my dad had a two hundred five GTI when I was nice. six, and I yeah. cried when he got rid of it, <laughs> and he replaced it with a D-Reg Celica that had pop-up lights. So I was immediately happy. <laughs> but yeah, I, I've always loved cars, um, so that was always the thing. And it, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a car designer. Funny enough, Tacona is the name of the imaginary car company that I came up with as an eight-year-old. Right. Because yes. it was when the Pagani Zonda first came out and I was obsessed with Tokyo and I just went, I'm going to be the next Ferrari, but my surname doesn't work very well. <laughs> so I'll make my own word. And this is what it was. It was obviously a mix of Tokyo and Zonda that yeah, happened yeah. in a, an eight-year-old's brain in the back of a maths <laughs> class. Um, so it was always cars is the thing that I wanted to be involved with. And as I've already said, I'm not that great at drawing, so I was never going to be a car designer. Mm. I think I'd probably have to really apply myself. And what 15-year-old wants to really apply themselves? <laughs> um, so then when it became a clothing thing, it was purely out of opportunity more than anything. It wasn't an intention. Mm. It was more um, a couple of friends and I were kind of banding around the idea of doing something clothing-wise, but it was never really any anything. Um, 
and at the time I was working in Sussex as a, an account manager for UPS. Again, another direction that my <laughs> yeah. my career life has taken. And a client of mine had just purchased um, a sublimation printer, which meant that they could print clothing on demand. Right. And I was like, oh, I've had this idea, actually. Let's just have a go. Like mm-hmm. with everything that I seem to do, it's just, just try it and see what happens. Mm. Um, to have a vulgar phrase, suck it and see, was the, yeah, the yeah. mentality. Mm-hmm. Um so I said to this customer, I was like, oh, I'm kind of working on this idea. Can I just make a couple of T-shirts and we'll just see what happens? Mm. And because I was working in a like a corporate environment, I was like, I'd noticed that the way that I would connect most with people is if we both like cars. Yeah. Because then we've got a conversation to talk about and it takes it out of that, oh, do you want to ship packages? Well, I work for UPS and we ship packages. Mm. Nobody wants that conversation. It's boring. <laughs> it, it, it becomes a numbers game and it's not interesting. And people don't want that conversation from a salesperson. They want to have at least a bit of chat as much as I hated being a salesperson. So I my mindset was, well, if we can create something that's car related, initially I wanted to create like a shirt that had like the golf stripes running through it mm-hmm. because I was wearing a shirt every day and if I could use that to connect with someone it'd be great and then that connection is what kind of transformed into the mental health sphere because I was like well if cars can help me connect business wise then my love of cars and the community around cars can help people connect for a purpose like you can make a business and you can do good and that's not mutually exclusive mm. you can do both um which was also something that I'd read about at the same time. I was like, oh, I'll just do something that does some good then. Maybe enough people will buy a T-shirt and I can do it full time. And that was the the pure mindset was, I like cars. Cars help me to connect. I used to work in mental health and I'm very passionate about it. Let's use cars to create those connections and help people talk to one another. And that's as simple as it was. There was yeah. no grand scheme. I still don't have a plan. I'm just bumble around and try and find <laughs> ways to sell more T-shirts because then more people <laughs> might talk to one another. Um but that was the direction it took. It was cars first. Cars are connecting people. If we can connect enough people and they acknowledge the conversation side of things, then we can probably do some good with it. Yeah. And that's the, the whole lineage of, of the brand itself. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. I mean, the amount of times we've had conversations with people who've both started businesses or entered into the career of, of choice and discovered that cars have been the catalyst yeah, for so much, you know, mm-hmm. it's the car ultimately is what brought you together. And, you know, even sitting here at Caffeine and Machine, this is a prime example. And we mentioned this in the podcast. We did a good few episodes back now with Dan and Phil, the owners of Caffeine and Machine on their third birthday. And, you know, talking about the business deals that are done here or the relationships that are started or you know, even love is has been born here because of cars, because somebody's come here because they have an interest in cars and they met somebody else that has an interest in cars so in order to you know to, i think it's fantastic that you're building up awareness of this fantastic cause which is essentially getting people to talk to each other more basically through the car <laughs> world and um yeah i just think it i think it's absolutely fantastic and so how long how long has this been a thing now you say it's been oh so i think technically the idea started in 2018 which is always something that i'm i'm very cautious when i I look back at that, um, A, because it was literally me in a bedroom in Brighton, mm-hmm. like doodling designs and sending them to a guy in Hastings that had a little printer. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like it was, we formed a business and we got yeah. funding. Yeah. <laughs> so when I look back, I, I'm very mindful that it's not not to go, oh, you've been doing this for three years. Why are sure. you not doing it full time yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it, it's still very much like a bedroom hobby. It's not, I, I don't have any backers. If there are any listening that want to get in touch, <laughs> I'm all ears. Because I'd love to be able to just go, I do this full time and I can make as much of an impact as possible. Sure. Um, but yeah, technically 2018 is when I think the first t-shirt got printed just before Goodwood Festival of Speed because right. I wore it to Goodwood and I think it arrived the day before we went. Brilliant. And I turned up at Goodwood thinking everybody's going to see this and they're all going to buy a t-shirt <laughs> in the complete naivety that is someone that has <laughs> a very new idea that they're hoping is going to grow. They go, oh, I just have to wear it to Goodwood and then everyone will see it. And they'll go, oh my God, what's that? I'll buy one of those t-shirts. And obviously that didn't happen. Um, and then it's it's had little bits here and there that have had pockets of exposure and things have kind of been seen here and there. And it's then gone through the pandemic. So, mm, of course, yeah. Uh, an idea that relies on community and bringing people together, mm. getting each other to talk, getting cars together, went through 
best part of two years of not being allowed to see people, yeah. which has been really difficult. And I've been involved as best I can with um, Adam and Revs Limiter. Yes. And doing like a couple of um, like Instagram stuff with um, Ian from Popman Colour. Yeah. yeah. Stuff like, just trying to find interesting ways to do different directions. And it's still an interesting thing to try and grow. Mm. Um, one thing I have found has worked really well is coffees and cars, which mm-hmm. I know is grammatically incorrect before anybody tells me <laughs> there's a reason it's coffees and cars and not cars and coffee, because there are 100,000 hashtag uses of cars and coffee, and there's about 1,000 of coffees and cars. Oh, brilliant. So if I want to do something that stands alone, like Tacona, yeah, if yeah. it's the start of an idea, then it, it's it's more unique and it, it's easier to find it mm. rather than being lost in the mix of the 100,000 posts. Yeah, Nobody's going to see my 30 likes post from my local cars and coffee. <laughs> more people might see coffees and cars if they happen upon it. Yeah. Um, but we found with that that it, we've had people that have said, I've been feeling like absolute crap for the last six months. Yeah. But you've given me a reason to get out of the house. Mm-hmm. And I've great. made friends and I've built relationships, th- again, through the cars. Mm. Um, so that's really been a real kind of proof of concept is that if you create something that connects people and they engage with it it reaches the purpose of making those connections um even the three of us in this room we all have connections to each other through the car world outside Mm -hmm. of this environment so like um it's your sister that's married to my friend my cousin your cousin cousin charlotte yeah married to my friend and i only know him through cars yeah and lily in west london we only know through cars and that's how we kind of connected mm-hmm. very briefly on Instagram. Yes. Mm. And it's that the six degrees of separation in the car world is normally about two. Yeah. 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 It's very yeah. much more interconnected with each other. Yeah. And it's great that that is something that is really prevalent in the car world. Yeah. It's that yeah. that I really believe is what's going to help grow this positive mindset. Mm. Absolutely. And it's just making people go, oh yeah, we can, we can talk about that. Yeah. That, that's all it is. If you could... Um, give people that are listening a simple bit of advice where if they are thinking I'm feeling a bit low or I don't really know how to talk about my feelings what would you suggest to them to help themselves and kind of with that what would you suggest to them to help other people are there any kind of things especially if it comes to around cars or going for drives together what are a couple of things that you could suggest yeah of course the thing that I tell myself the most if I'm finding things difficult and the first thing I say is, you're a hypocrite, start talking. You're the guy that tells other people to, so you should. Um, but it, it's just get it out. Just yeah. get it out of your chest. Just call the Samaritans, call any advice line. Mm-hmm. There's no ego from them. They're not expecting you to be the worst person. You, you don't call those guys only if you want to kill yourself. You mm. call them when you're feeling like crap. But they're impartial. There's no trace to who you are. It's not going to impact on your life. A lot of people will find it difficult initially to talk to people around them for fear of judgment mm. because it's directly connected to you. You will feel like, I can't say that because that person is then going to treat me differently because of what I said. Mm. So go to a support line. They don't care who you are. Mm. They're not going to bring your mum up and say, oh, John's having a bit of a bad time. Maybe mm. you should check him on Because then they would be kind of counterintuitive to their mm. purpose. Yeah, absolutely. There are so many advice lines that exist specifically for you to just talk. Yeah, just get it off your chest is the, the idea i suppose i've only i've only ever thought about you know samaritans for example um as being a that's when you're really desperate and you don't know who to call kind of thing i didn't really ever think about it as someone you could call if you're just thinking i feel not good and i need to chat to somebody so there is that, that those levels of you don't need to to be at kind of yeah, the, the last point of call for, for to, to phone them yeah definitely and a lot of people won't phone them because they go they're needed for someone who is suicidal. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to clog up the phone lines because someone who's literally on the edge of a bridge mm. is not going to be able to get through. That's not it. Mm. Give them a call. They've got a lot of resources. They're a huge charity. There is the resource for you to call and go, I feel like crap. Mm. And I don't know who to talk to about it. Because then they will offer more professional advice as well. They're used to dealing with this scenario. And it's not just the Samaritans. Calm have one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm thinking that in the pizza box on your, on your website as well you've website. got a massive yeah, long a list, list look at. you're really website, really yeah. good if anyone big old list on there and if I'm 100% honest I found most of that somewhere else mm-hmm. and adopted it and then added some more that I'd found myself yeah, but, that's fine. but it's an, it's a growing resource it's yeah. not it's not I don't own it in any mm. way but it is a list of resources and numbers and text chats and specific for different groups and people and things like that and it's that is always my first mm. go to is to say go there because it's so 
disconnected from your life and they have so much more resource to be able to properly help that there should be no burden felt for doing so. No, that's right. And even if it is a big step, it's worth taking that step. Mm. And the first thing is that you've acknowledged that you are feeling crap. That's a, a real, a big step in itself is going, oh, you know what? I actually feel really bad. Yeah. I need to kind of do something, mm-hmm. do that. Talk to one of those advice lines and just do that. Um, and then as things, that initial thing will get a lot of that pressure out. Even if you spend an hour and a half crying and getting it all out of your system, <laughs> it's better to do that than to hold it in. Yeah, of course. I think that's one of the things about therapy in general that is surprising. I, I know that I went to see a therapist once a week for about two years or something like that. I probably cried for the entire hour for the first I know year and three quarters of that just really? yeah literally you, it's not until you think to yourself you, you're fine mm. in normal life until you start talking about the thing that you know is the reason why you're feeling pretty rubbish and the minute you get onto that for me at least I was mis- I've never been so miserable about that one thing before in my life so um yeah it's it's kind of almost surprising to to let yourself get to that point because you just think it's almost you, you end up um not necessarily denying it but you think to yourself, oh if i start talking about it i'm gonna cry yeah. over whoever i'm talking to and that's suddenly you think to yourself, well if i cry with my friend my friend then they're gonna not want to see me or if i go to a social event i can't meet then they're not gonna want to invite me again and so it, it becomes a quite a difficult thing to try and do but if you can get to that point where you like go talk to somebody whether they are professional not professional someone on the end of the phone a friend that you trust or whatever it's just the fact of being able to talk about it otherwise things don't get better (laughs) definitely and it's amazing how raw those nerves are once you start getting close to Mm. them isn't it like yeah yeah. you can be feeling completely fine and then you have one little thing that just makes that small connection to that real topic Mm. and then the floodgates just open and it's better to get those floodgates open to something that you don't feel like is going to come back to you because then it makes opening those a little bit more easy in the future Mm -hmm. like with a therapist Mm. you I hope, didn't feel like there were any repercussions from you doing that. Oh, no, definitely not. Just advice and help. Yes. Um, So first advice would be call one of those lines because GPs and therapy is clogged up and it's always hard to get someone at the Yeah, and not only that, I I remember I went to my GP first and I was like, look, I feel really sad, but only about this one thing. Um, but I, I don't feel like I want to end my life or hurt myself or anything like that. But and basically, I was just I, I they didn't deem me bad enough to go onto the, the the NHS you know therapy or to have to wait for like months or something like that. And I just thought, oh, I've been fobbed off by my own GP, and I felt really crap. <laughs> so. Definitely, and it's really difficult because you feel like you've been fobbed off, and the GP's like, we've only got limited resources that we can yeah. only give to the people that are like, I'm going to kill myself unless something happens. Yeah. So from your perspective, I feel like crap. And now I feel like even more crap because the NHS doesn't care for me. And from their perspective, they're probably like, I really would like to help. Yeah. But we are very much like limited in our capabilities to do so. Yeah. And I think a lot of people these days will have access to an employee assistance program that they mm. might not know about. And that would be another thing that is worth highlighting to look for. Um, I know with the last two employees that I've had, they both had employee assistance programs and they were phone lines that then could refer you to counselling and they would much more quickly get past needing to go to the GP to get either signed off from work or the NHS therapy because it's effectively private and it's paid for. Um, So that would again be, if we were making a timeline of things to do, it would be get it off your chest by calling one of these helplines, looking for an employee assistance program or the options of some sort of private therapy if possible. And if affordable, if not affordable, the GP waiting line is unfortunately the only route that's then mm. then left. Um, and then outside of that, just get involved with a hobby that you enjoy. It doesn't necessarily have to be cars. Obviously for us, it's cars. And for me personally, it's always been how I've made my friends. Um, but just having something sociable, something outside of the normal life is is so good for the brain. Mm. Like when I lived in Brighton, I was there on my own. I didn't know anybody. My other half was in Northampton, so we were like 200 miles away. And I very quickly determined that I needed a social life, otherwise I was going to sink very quickly. Mm. And I started with cars, and I've got a GTA 6. I went to the local Japanese car group and started making a few friends there. And then I got into jujitsu and right. just fell into, <laughs> like really fell in love with that world. And that's another one, because it's like fighting effectively, mm. your brain can't, really think about anything else because it's like if you don't 
you're going to get hurt. Like it's mm. it's quite uncomfortable having someone choke you. So you kind of have to go, I need to think about this or it could be really painful yeah. unless you're into that kind of thing. <laughs> Each to their own. Um, but there was a certain social side to that. Again, because you are intimately close with someone, not in that kind of way, in a fighting kind of way, you have a lot of respect and you put a lot of trust into they're not actually going to hurt me. Mm. We're not in a fight. We're just learning. Um, and then you start to quickly build relationships because you're very close with people. Mm. And the more you do it, the more you get involved with it, the more of a social life you get around it and the quicker you make these connections. But the important thing is that you make the connections. So for me, what I'm trying to do is establish a network of cars and coffee mornings or coffees and cars um, <laughs> like we do in Sawbridge where I live. It's a local cafe. We take over the high street on a Sunday when the parking is free. So there's no cost to entry Perfect. because then the barrier to entry is mm. zero. You can literally come and park up in whatever car you want, have a cup of coffee, have a bacon sandwich, ogle other people's cars, have people come and point and look at your cars and just get chatting. Mm. And if I'm anywhere nearby, I normally get everybody talking to each other because I effectively just push people into each other <laughs> and go, right, you two are now going to chat. Um, but the idea is that no matter where you go with cars, you will bump into people and you will start talking because yeah. you are going there with a predisposition that these are car people. These are people that have a common interest. Yeah. So therefore I don't need to feel awkward going, Oh, I like cars. Cause everyone's like, yeah, that's why we're here. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not like you're at a party and they go, Oh, what's your thing? Oh, I like cars. Oh, it's the car guy. <laughs> you're already with all the other car guys. So you might as well just right. That's established. We yeah. can move on. Um, so hopefully as, as we get into the new year and as we can start building some more connections, we can make more of these. And ultimately, I'd like to aim for one in every county to start mm -hmm. with, or at least mm -hmm. the southeast is the, the first goal. Um, and if things go to plan, which is going to take a lot of work, but that's, what's, that's the point of it, um, there will be local ones. So let's say, for example, you move house, you go, oh, I need to meet new people. Oh, mm -hmm. coffees and cars. I know mm -hmm. I can meet people there. Yeah. And I know I can connect with people there and I can make friends and social circles. I suppose that's the thing, when, especially when you're a grown-up, um, to make friends with people that you l share common interests, it's quite difficult to make those friends unless you have something where you're like, oh, where is my local car meet? For, I know from, yeah. from, from my point of view, for example, you think about your, your local car meet and it tends to be older gentlemen that I have nothing in common with other than... You like cars, I like cars, but we're not going to realistically be friends for that basic level. So the point where you've got someone that's young like yourself and you think to yourself, actually, I feel like I've got more of a, I can relate to you a lot more than I can about with these, this local car meet. It's being able to have the ability to be like, okay, not only are these people interested in cars, but they're also kind of my age group or, you know, I feel like I can relate to them. I could be friends with these, these people rather than it just being a complete like, you like cars, I like cars. That is really it. So Yeah, definitely. Um, even at our local one we get a full mix we mm. get older guys that turn up in cars and all of us younger guys go oh my god I wish I could afford that car <laughs> I've got like no hope because we're millennials <laughs> um, and then you get the younger guys around like my age I'm nearly 30 so we're kind of in the middle and then you'll get a few like late teenagers that probably come down on one of those electric scooters to see what's going on rather mm. than actually driving because car yeah. insurance is unaffordable unless you're 25 nowadays <laughs> um, but you're, you're completely right if there's something that's happening that's local, that's relatively regular, you can go in there with a, a hope that I'll meet people that have a, a similar kind of as, uh, expectation that I do is to make friends. Mm. And you're, you're completely right. It's almost impossible to make friends as an adult. Mm. Like Either you have to make friends with the people that you work with or you have to be part of a sports team. They're kind of the mm. only two ways that most people in normal life will meet people, yeah. which is why office romances are so prevalent. <laughs> that's right. Because yeah. where yeah. else are you meeting people yeah. other than at work or on a dating app, mm -hmm. like if you are looking to make friends or make at least some connections in your local area for people that you can go, can someone look after my dog for an afternoon <laughs> if for nothing else, well, then you need some way of making that initial connection with them. So mm. having a local car meet, the perfect way to get started mm -hmm. and unfortunately for you you're surrounded by old men so you're, <laughs> we're going to have to hopefully encourage a few more young ladies to yours so that you've got some new friends that's the choice be. of cars I think Amy that's the problem defenders and E-types I mean come on okay yeah maybe they are slightly <laughs> old menish, but you know and hey there's nothing wrong with that nope old, old men of the world <laughs> well I've just started driving the most old man car possible so maybe I should try and bring the old men cars to the younger generation I don't know if that's going to work oh I like not. that bridge yeah. the gap yeah definitely so. leaning into that influencer lifestyle <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> it's cool to drive Freelanders now. I, I mean, Freelanders that you've been given for free or X-Type shooting yeah. brakes. Yeah. Shooting, yeah, you must include the shooting brakes. The Freelander is the evoke of the 90s. <laughs> is that what you'd say? <laughs> it's not a proper Range Rover. No. It's not a Land Rover. It's something in the middle. <laughs> I mean, I don't think there's much cool about this Freelander. It has racing stripes on the front and the sides. Do, the f- do they count as racing stripes if they're on the sides as um, well? Yeah, why not? Why not? <laughs> Porsche have them down the side. So oh, that's true. It's, it's practically a Porsche. It's practically yeah. a Porsche. Yeah. <laughs> There's something intrinsically cool about driving a cheap old car, though, because you've got that air of no ego connected to it. Yep. So then that's intrinsically much cooler than someone driving something flash because they're driving something flash normally to impress people. So yeah. if you turn up in something that's a bit battered and it didn't cost you anything and you're like, oh, I just drive this, you're intrinsically much cooler than the guy in the Rolls Royce. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. I don't know if it's working, but I will. My Renault 5 turns more heads than the the Toyota, which isn't that cool of a car. It's not a flashy car, mm-hmm. but it is a sports car with gold stickers all over it. And my little Renault, which cost me 500 quid, turns way more heads and gets way more attention <laughs> and is intrinsically way cooler than the sports car that I drive. So even on a personal level, I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> I once had a guy come up to me um, in my... Z3 M Coupe, which I've talked talk about an awful lot. Never heard you talk about that, John. I know, I know. Oh, you had a Z3 M Coupe? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, somebody came up to me at a car event, and um, I was like, oh, I really like this. It's is such a cool thing to see. And he said, um, they're kind of, you know, these are kind of creeping up in value now, aren't they? I said, yeah, you know, they're, they're, they're appreciating nicely. And he said, oh, yeah, what else have you got, other cars? And I said, oh, actually, you know, at the moment, this is pretty much it. Um, this is all I've got. And he said, um, oh, do you know what? Good for you. Good for you, because, you know, you could sell this and get something quite decent, couldn't you? But, you know, you've chosen to drive something a bit unusual. And I was looking at him like, He's what? He's recording a massacre. <laughs> You're punishing yourself to feel yeah. cool. <laughs> Good for you driving this old rubbish BMW. But, um, yeah, that's uh, each each to their own. My no. prevailing memory of the Z3 M Coupe is the top gear at the, the um, Nürburgring episode. when Oh, yes. Jeremy Clarkson tried to go beat 10 minutes in that Jag. Yes. There's the guy in the Z3M that inevitably crashed. That's right. So my whole mindset around it, oh, I'll probably crash it. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they all do, isn't it? They are quite crashable. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, well, before we wrap things up, um, I think there'll be a lot of people listening who are going to be quite inspired by what we're talking about. And there might even be a few people that are given a little friendly nudge to uh, to take a step on either you know, starting to talk to somebody or even trying to find some sort of group of equally interested friends that are interested in cars and meats. Um, where's the best place for them to go? If, they, if there are people listening th- thinking, actually, do you know what? One of these car events sounds great. I'm a, I'm a massive car geek and I want to meet other massive car geeks. I'm one of these car geeks, by the way. Um, <laughs> is it best just to head to the website, social media feeds? What's, what's, what's the best resource for them? If you're wanting to get involved in anything that I'm involved with, the website has it on there. We've yep. got a dedicated page for coffees and cars. Um, currently there are only two locations but hopefully that will grow and yep. if there are any people that live in say villages with small coffee shops that want to become part of the network that would be a fantastic way to to help grow that as well um, another thing i think it is also worth mentioning with regards to the whole idea is that it's not necessarily just talking about mental health yeah um, what we found is just having conversations and talking and being around people is mm-hmm. normally enough to take the edge off um, i'm very conscious of avoiding that kind of oh let's all hold hands and have a cry about it thing because that is again another barrier that people don't really want to climb over but just the simple act of oh let's chat cars and have a cup of coffee is normally enough to kind of take the edge off and then you you feel a little bit more comfortable when you Mm -hmm. go oh lads i'm having a tough time or ladies um Rather than it's, we're all meeting up to, to hold hands and have a cry yeah. about it on a Sunday morning. Yeah, just to, around some To nice clarify, cars, you're not organizing group therapy sessions. I'm not organizing yeah. group therapy group sessions. Ca- I'm sessions. not even organizing group chat sessions. Andy yeah. Mann's Club do a really good job of that, by the way. If, mm-hmm. uh, if you've not heard of them, I think it's either Andy's Man Club or Andy Mann's Club. Mm-hmm. One of the two. Um, they do a regular sit down and talk and get things off your chest cool. thing. And they're growing quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been a real inspiration for me personally in the direction that coffees and cars could go in is to create these networks so if that's something that people are needing Mm. i know it's not in any way to kona related but it's a really really good resource to try and find and get involved with and they have posters bloody everywhere i've been Mm. to coffee shops in the south of devon and gone to the bathroom and seen one of their posters like as if they're down here as well yeah (laughs) yeah. um but if if it's cars that you're after 
My website has where we're doing them. Mm. I've also started engaging with the Roadster app quite a lot. Have you guys come across that? Yeah, I know of it. Yeah. Um, because you can post up events and times and locations. So I've started doing that for coffees and cars. Cool. So anyone that might not have come across me or the brand or our events mm. might find them through there. And that, again, the more of those things that exist, the more opportunity there is for other community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to take ownership of car meets. No. So there might be meets happening out there that are in no way connected to me, but they might be on the Roadster app or they might be on Facebook groups, that kind of thing. The important thing is that people just go and get involved and be around enthusiasts. Don't sit in on a Sunday morning feeling like absolute crap when you could be staring at some nice cars because you never know what turns up. That's right. Yeah. So your website, remind people? Uh, Tacona.co.uk, T-A-K-O-N-A, because it's a unique word. (laughs) It's a very unique word. And social media feeds... They're predominantly Tacona underscore official. Someone Perfect. had nabbed just Tacona, so I had to... Oh, have they done that? Uh, it's, I think it's someone's name. Ah. <laughs> yeah, it's also an Easter Island tradition that I found Is out. Is it really? Yeah, so there's a body painting tradition called Tacona in Easter Island, <laughs> and it roughly, very loosely translates to leaving a mark. So I thought that was appropriate. We'll keep that. That's it's very cool. appropriate. Yeah. I do like the idea that somebody has searched... As they often do, I can see by the way the analytics work on our podcast. People <laughs> often search for words and names, and they they often get lots of listens. I like the idea that somebody somebody somewhere has gone. I wonder if anyone's done a podcast about t- the tradition of Tacona. And they've yeah, got, they've, they've got this, this far into the podcast and gone. Oh right, yeah. it's not nothing to do with. There's no uh, body painting at all. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you, Lewis. Thank you so much for um, coming and sharing your story and and sharing this wonderful brand that. Um, that you're that you've founded and ultimately i'm sure it's going to be one that we see more of as as time goes on and uh, now that the world is starting to kind of revolve in the way that it used to and we're able to meet up and go to car shows and actually meet new people it's quite exciting so i'm sure things are only going to get bigger and better for you i really appreciate it thank it's you for been, having me over yeah no my my pleasure um Thank you, the listener. If, you, uh, if you've enjoyed this conversation, as always, we'd love to get your feedback on it. So if you've got the, the time, means and ability to leave us a little review, that'd be incredible. Uh, if you want to see um, a recap on uh, any of the web addresses or social media handles that we've been talking about, have a look in the bio description of this episode and you'll see it all there with links through to the Tacona site. Uh, and other bits and pieces and keep an eye on our social feeds at driven chat because of course we'll be keeping you up to speed with future episodes updates meets and who knows we may even be popping along to a tacona meet a coffees and cars sometime very soon uh, in some interesting old ratty old rubbish bmws who or, knows? Freelanders. or a freelander mm-hmm. a free freelander free, old freelander if, would be great if anybody wants a free freelander hit me up hang on you that's you're dangerous you're giving the free free freelander away well Yes, let's go with yes. Okay, we'll, we we'll put some thought into this. the car throttle guys, get them to do a crazy rap video or something <laughs> on it. Like, put a horrible livery all over it and then give it away in a competition. <laughs> I think I'm going to struggle giving it away as it is, so I don't know if I need to make it more horrible. Or get in touch with that kid on TikTok that painted that Nissan Micra matte black and pink. Oh, Boris. Yeah, Boris he'd the Micra. probably get involved with it if you gave him that for free and do something crazy with it. It's <laughs> a very good point. Right, well, watch this space for the adventures of the free freelander. Free, 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 freelander. Well, there we go. There we are. Thank you both. Amy, thank you very much. Thank you. Lewis, thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Thank you, dear listener. And we shall speak to you again, undoubtedly, next week. Bye. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Oh, wow. You've made it to the end. The very end. And it's John Markar here again, reminding you that this podcast, the Driven Chat Podcast, has now run its course and has come to an end. To find the new format, search the Driven Podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps. Thanks. Bye.